What's good, people? It's your boy Caesar here, and this is an episode of the Hybe Club. Hope all is good. You know where to find me on the socials at C-C-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S. And you know where to find us here at the Hybe Club on the socials at the Hybe Club. Hope all is well. Well, we are a few days off the uh, victory against Oxford United in the FA Cup. We are through, and of course, we are playing Manchester City in the next round. Um, a very good win, a much-needed win, a tougher game than maybe some people would have expected. But if you know the FA Cup and you know what it's like to see your team go away to a team lower down in the divisions, you know those can be very, very tough games. And look, there's seven or eight Premier League teams who are out of the competition already. So it can happen. And Oxford were very, very tough. Of course, we look forward to the North London derby. Um there are less games in January than there typically are, so um, or rather that we've typically had um, throughout the season in terms of fixture congestion. So um, we're kind of in a position now where I think we we all would have wanted to see heavy rotation um, on Monday night, and to a large degree we got heavy rotation, but I think all of us would have been surprised by the forward line that started. Um, however, when you think about it, number one, we do need to get minutes into the legs of the squad. Number two, um, we do need some consistency if we want to sort of maintain the fitness of the players. And, you know, there are, what, three games, maybe four games in January. Um, so, yeah. And number three, you know, we don't have that many options um, in terms of our forward line. So, you know, I think it's to be expected that we ended up doing what we did. But look, just going to talk about the Oxford game briefly. It's done. It's over. We know. Look, look ahead to the game against um, a game against uh, City in the FA Cup. But of course, we have the big matter of the North London derby coming up, and we will be pre- previewing that, of course. So, um, with the with the FA Cup quickly, I just wanted to touch on it because I know it's a few days ago now, but um, we fought hard for that victory. We won in rotation. We got it. Um, I wanted heavier rotation, but looking back at the game, if Arteta had done that, I think there's a good chance that that game turns out slightly differently because they put in a lot of good work. They battled hard. Um, But fortunately, we were able to avoid a similar fate uh, that we suffered last year. Starting lineup, we had um, Turner in goal, Tomiyasu right back, holding with Gabriel, Tierney at left back, Elneny, Lokonga, Vieira, and then the attacker lineup of Saka, Martinelli, and Ketia. Subs, Carl Hein, Benjamin White, Zinchenko, Shaka, Parsi, Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, Marquinhos, and Butler, Yadeji. Um, again, showing reinforcements are needed when you look at that bench. Um, but it was great to see um, Smith-Rowe being added um, back into the squad after so long out. It was also great to see him get on the pitch, um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. So Arteta had made about seven changes from the 0-0 draw at Newcastle. Obviously, Matt Turner came in for Ramsdale. I think that was his first game since October, probably since Europa League, was it? Or it's League Cup. I can't remember. Um, Probably since League Cup, yeah. Um, Obviously, Gabriel stayed in place rather than Saliba, playing next to Holding, who was captain for the night. Um, Moanelli was uh, playing the deep-lying midfielder uh, role, and I think he did it quite well, I think. One thing that's been apparent this season, I, th- I think it's been apparent for a lot of seasons, but particularly this season, I think, is that that deep-line midfield role requires a mature head to play it. Whatever you think about the respective um, talents of, of the players we have and what they can do, I think there's a certain level of maturity that is required. And I I, I say maturity, not necessarily age, um, but I think there's a certain level of calmness and maturity to, to play that role effectively, and, and El Nidhi did that, not just because he scored the goal, but just his overall play. Um, he had Fabio Vieira and Lokonga, um, who had two different games, judging by people's reactions to them. I sometimes feel the reactions to Lokonga are a bit harsh, um, not because I think he's tearing up trees or doing brilliantly, but the way people play, the way people talk about him, you'd think he was sort of one of the worst midfielders to ever pull on the shirt, and it's nowhere close. I, I think he's a prime. He's he's a he's an example of, to me of a player at the moment who does everything just fine. You know, not great, not terrible, just fine. But when you're in a team that is as good as we have been with uh, the levels, at, you know, at where they are and where we're trying to go, 
fine looks meh in in a very good team if that makes sense um I think he needs to work on imposing himself more. I've said that before. I think physically he needs to get better. Um, he needs to do the game more. He needs to be more decisive, make quicker decisions, um, be more switched on. He just generally needs to sort of up the level of different parts of his game if he wants to be the kind of player that he knows he can be. But we'll see what happens with him. I suspect that at some point in the future, a loan move may be on the cards. But listen... People's careers can turn around very, very quickly. So for all the talk and thoughts about Lukonga and where he's at now, it could be a very different story for him moving forward. And then we had the starting lineup, of course, Saka, Martinelli and Ketia. It would have been nice to see players like Marquinhos and Smith-Rowe get a start. But like I said, looking at how Oxford started the game, um, I think we might have been in trouble if we put Smith-Rowe on at the start and he was just getting absolutely battered by the by the Oxford defence. Um we, we had to be very, very patient because that first half was tough. And I think, you know, while it's a Premier League team playing a League One team, the expectation is you just go in there and roll them over. Um, it can be very, very physically demanding, very physically tough. And when you rotate a squad the way we did, you lack the fluency that you ordinarily get, um, which means it could take some time to get for the players to get to a stage where they're in a position to um, really... Uh, forge the connections that, that lead to the kind of breakthroughs we've seen in the team this season, you know, the patterns of play, the triangles, the um, people sort of reading each other's minds and knowing where they're going to be. Um, you saw later in the game with some of the some of the goals we scored that some of that fluency existed, um, but it came later in the game. I think it was a bit tough, tough going at the start. Um, and look, Arteta clearly knew what to expect because he named a, a pretty strong starting lineup. You know, like I said, it wasn't packed with U21s and that kind of thing. He he wanted to get this game won, get it done and move on. And so he picked a team to do that. Um they were pretty they were pretty lively to say the least, you know, going into challenges pretty physical. And they were they were getting the rubber the green because the ref was looking at it like lower league team against Premier League team, of course they're gonna be physical, get up, you know, are oh, you being soft, you know, yada yada yada, all of that stuff, you know, don't like it up and so you know, it's to be expected that when a lower league team plays uh, a Premier League team in the FA Cup, they're probably going to be a little bit physical and the ref's going to allow it. And these players needed to understand that they weren't going to get anything tonight. So unless it was something egregious, they weren't going to get the call. So you just got to get up and keep playing because that's that's what's going to happen. Um, it's a shame to a degree. Like I'm not, I'm not one of those people who's particularly um, offended by the rough side of the game. Um, I think it's part and parcel of it. I think it's just there are lines, right? And as as Arsenal supporters, we've seen over the years what happens when um, physical play goes too far. So I think for me, it's always just where the line is and making sure that refs don't allow that line to be crossed too often because once you once you tell teams, because it's not just the team you're playing, it's the people watching the game, right? It's, it's other teams. Once you tell teams that you can do this to these players and they won't be punished, it invites that kind of behaviour. And we've seen over the years, the players who have lost months and years of their careers because, you know, refs, you know, didn't didn't ref that kind of thing properly. But I think in this game, it was just a very typical sort of bit of roughhousing by a, a lower league opposition. And I think while some of the players, um, I think in the first half, particularly Lukonga and Vieira maybe struggled with it, um, I think as the game, as the game grew on, we adjusted to their tactics, but then we started to impose ourselves a bit more in terms of our style of play. They pushed back, couldn't keep up with us. And you saw towards the end of the game, a lot more space started to open up just because they they weren't able to, able to keep up. So we rode out the physical part well enough. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, we were a little bit underwhelming, a little bit undercooked maybe, you know, lacked the fluidity you'd expect from us. Um, we were still getting into our sort of five attacking channels. Um, you saw how high up Vieira was pushed up, how high up Lukonga was pushed up at times. Martinelli and Saka were both taken on their their fullbacks. Um, and Eddie was, you know, um, being that focal point through the middle. I just think he wasn't being found um, with uh, with some of the, the opportunities that came. So one opportunity where he'd sort of fainted movement, managed to create separation with his defender. He was going to sprint through. He was just waiting for the ball over the top from Gabriel. Ball never came. Gabriel gave it to Tierney. Tierney sort of runs through the centre of the pitch. About three different occasions, he could have fed the ball to a player, didn't, eventually gives it to Saka. And uh, yeah, the, the the ball Saka receives pretty much invites pressure and the, the, the chance is pretty much gone. 
Um, so there was a lot of that in the first half where we just weren't really making decisive decisions. We weren't, there weren't sort of the decisive actions to, to make the breakthrough. But at no point was I particularly worried about the game, the match. At no point did I think, you know, we were in trouble. Um, they maybe had a small moment um, where they ran through later in the game. But beyond that, I don't really think there was much to, to have been worried about. Um, meanwhile, you know, in the first half, Oxford kept doing what they did. You know, uh, Saka took a pretty rough knock to the ankle. Um, I think uh, Tommy Asu took a couple of blows to the face a couple of times. Um, but it does, it does happen. But, you know, we started to get into the game a bit more. Um, and yeah, I think we we did what we needed to do to to get through the first half without without much uh, issue. So I think it was maybe around the 34th, 35th minute. Um, we had uh, a chance. There was good work by Martinelli on the on the I think left hand side, where he um, sort of took he was dribbling, took two Oxford players with him, which created space in the box. And Lokongo was kind of skulking in the box to be able to pick up the ball unmarked, took a shot, and uh, it looked like it was at least heading on target. Um, and it hit the arm of the Oxford defender with VAR. I think that I think that gets given as a penalty. I mean, I don't know. Uh, part of me does wonder if, if you know, I think certainly if it was the other way around, if Oxford had took that shot against us and there was VAR, that would have been given as a penalty. But I'm, I'm curious to see what would have happened. Um, because these lower league, Premier League sort of um, dynamics come into play in in the officials' minds when they make decisions. I just think that is the nature of things. I don't think it's conspiracy or anything. I just think it's that sort of unconscious thing where it, it affects how they look at, at, at these kind of things. But in any case, no VAR, so wasn't given. Um, so we got to the second half, and I think things got a lot better. Our tempo was higher. We started to cause them a lot more problems. The passing was better. Um, we started to really find our pace of movement. Vieira started to, to show up and show some personality, which was great to see um, because he looks like a proper player. You know, he, he puts on a little bit of, um, he puts on a little bit of muscle, but maintains his, his uh, fleet footedness and his, his technique. And he's going to be, uh, he's going to be some player. Um, I mean, it was pretty much within the the opening moment, second half and Katia had a pretty good opportunity, uh, reversible uh, to Vieira. Um, but the ball got held on too long. Um, like I said, they did have their opportunity. I think uh, one of their players broke the offside trap, was bowling down. Turner came out. Um, I think Turner coming out put the uh, striker off so he couldn't get his, his feet together. And luckily, Turner was there to collect the ball and keep moving. Special mention for, for Turner. He had a really good game. Um, they were they clearly were aware of the conversations about Turner not being great with his feet, so they really wanted to test that. But Turner kept his cool, you know. He had to sh shuffle his feet, move really quickly, a couple of drag backs, you know, changing direction, pass to the left, pass to the right, did everything that was required of him, collecting the ball in the air, being physical, commanding his box. Really, really good night. Again, I know we're talking about Oxford United, but different challenges, different problems, and he dealt with it. So um, you have to give him credit where credit's due, and I think that's four out of five clean sheets for him. Um, so that's that's... Uh, that's a very, very good thing. So, yeah, he did really, really well. Um, we kept coming in the second half. Um, you saw, uh, I think there was a moment early in the first half, somewhere around the 55th minute, I think, if I if my note's correct, 54, 55th minute. Um, Vieira had the ball, did a nice little sort of backheel pass in Saku. He'd come inside, and um, I think his shot was deflected. So, yeah, we were getting closer and closer. Um Eventually, though, we managed to to uh, to finally get the goal. I think Martinelli got fouled. Vieira took charge of the free kick on the left, whipped in an amazing free kick. I mean, the curl on the ball was just inch perfect. It landed exactly where you wanted it to go. That hall of uncertainty, goalkeeper was frozen on the spot. Couldn't come to get it because get it where. Um, and Elneny met it with his head straight into the net, 1-0, boom. And you you knew the moment that that ball went into the net, their confidence was shot, the game was done. I knew at that moment the game was won. There was no, for me, there was absolutely no chance of them coming back into the game, um, particularly because they would have had to push up just a little bit more, which would create space, which, you know, we would have, we would have exploited ruthlessly. So with that goal, a very, very important goal, uh, because you don't want replays. Um, yeah, we knew the game was done. Um, Great chant, by the way. Uh, Stillman, 
Tim Stillman had a, I think he's got a video on Twitter um, of uh, the the El Nani chant. Um, sort of, I think I think it's a take or twist and shout. It's brilliant, love it. Um, and uh, El Nani, it's good to see him back in the squad, getting minutes because we will need him. Um, and he played a part actually in what was to come next in relation to the second goal. Um, I believe uh, he won the ball back in midfield. And he sort of turned and found Vieira with a nice sort of quick, incisive forward pass. And, you know, for all the talk about sideways passing and blah, 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 it was a very, very important progressive pass he played to Vieira. Vieira, brilliant, brilliant pass because he just has a quick look up and just immediately plays a ball behind the defender, behind Oxford defender with the perfect weighting of pass. And even better than that pass was Eddie's time to run. He timed it to perfection, went around the other side of the defender. Defender was rooted to the spot, didn't know which way to go. Eddie got on the end of the ball, took it past the keeper and slotted it into an empty net. Brilliant number nine play, brilliant finish. Good goal from Eddie, who'd been working hard all game and just hadn't been getting the the balls to him. That's a prime example of what happens when you feed him. Um, Yeah. And then the night got even better. Um, Saka came off with... I say we got better, a bit worried about Saka at the moment because he was getting a bit of a bruising, but by all accounts, sounds like he was fine. Um, yeah, he, he as he came off, Smithro was coming on, so great to see Smithro get some minutes. Um, so roughly around about 15 minutes worth of football in this game. For him, 15 minutes under his belt, which is great. Looked Definitely looked a little rusty, rusty but that's to be expected, um, given he hasn't played, uh, what, since before Man United? before the Man United loss because I think that's when he sort of left the the, the warm-up um, because of injury so it's a long time we're talking months and months and months of no football so it's expected but he was still um, trying to do the right things and get in the right spaces and as Saka was uh, coming off walking around the pitch um, we found ourselves the opportunity to get the third and final goal um, Martellini did some brilliant work bringing the ball up um, on the right side of the pitch. At one point, I did think he'd allowed himself to get, uh, he allowed the Oxford players to catch up to him a bit, but it was purposeful because he saw um, Eddie on the overlap. So he just slowed down his his dribble a bit, his run a bit, brought all of the Oxford players around him and just slotted it into Eddie's path. Eddie runs onto it um, at the angle, barrels down on goal. Keeper comes out, tries to narrow the angle and Eddie, Eddie just waits for the keeper to go down before he does just the, cheekiest of little dinks past the keeper and the ball just uh, rolls into the net. Made it look so easy, but that is not easy. Um, well done to Eddie. That's two goals in that game, four goals in four games. And he's delivering exactly what you need your number two striker to do when your number one striker is out. Eddie's doing that and he's doing it to perfection. Well done to him. Um, well done to Smithrow as well. Great to see him back. Um, great to see him back playing. He had an opportunity for himself, actually, uh, took down the ball, but it just sort of bounced off his knee, took a shot, and it deflected just wide. Another On another day, that deflects into the bottom corner, and he gets a goal on his return. But even though it wasn't the cleanest of strikes and uh, the cleanest of touches, I think he'll be... Um, he'll, I think he'll be happy that he just, you know, got on the pitch and got through those 15 minutes. And I think it's good to see him getting in those positions and getting those shots off, because we're going to need that moving forward. But I do think what we did take from that is that he's going to take a while to get back to full fitness. We can't expect anything from him probably in the next couple of weeks even. I, I don't think we can expect smith to be anywhere near his best for a while, um, which highlights the importance of needing more additions. Um, so, yeah, all in all, um, good result, strong result. Um, on we go to Man City in the next round of the FA Cup. Um, but first things first, we've got a small matter of the North London derby. Um I'm I'm really happy that we got a good performance from Fabio Vieira in the end. 81% pass accuracy, four key passes, four crosses completed, two assists, two big chances created. Um, and it's a good time for Eddie as well. It, you know, he's going to be starting a North London derby, right? And he's just scored two goals in the cup. Again, caveat Oxford, we know, but he's done it. He got 90 minutes played, five shots, two on target, um, 100% uh, dribble completion, 32 touches, um, two goals. So... He's going to be he's going to be in in good spirits going into that game, and we're going to need all of our players at their best to win that game. Not because Spurs are in sort of scintillating form or anything, but North London derbies are their own thing. They they exist outside of the the 
the realms of form and you know squad ability and all of they are their own monster and so we need our players at their very best um, going into that we tend to see recently that the home side has the advantage um, and usually takes the points um, in recent years in, in this fixture. Um, they are the home side, so we need to break that um, and take those points. Um, it's the Manchester derby the day before uh, on Saturday. So, you know, despite the fact that Manchester United have been meh this season, but they've started to improve and Man City have dropped some points. In recent years, United have been able to take points off Manchester City. It has happened. They've had some embarrassing losses, don't get me wrong. But they've also been able to take points. So there's every chance that the that, uh, that United maybe take a point off, um, off City and we have an opportunity to extend our lead at the top of the table. So um, with that being said, let's get into the preview for the North London Derby. Welcome back, people. This is part two of the Hybrid Club podcast. Hope you're good. It's your boy Caesar here. Um, so we got done talking about Oxford. I just wanted to do 20 minutes on that just to kind of tape to tape it off. I was um, going to release it as its own single sort of one shot, but just didn't get around to. So I figured you could have it here and then we'll talk about what we really want to talk about, which is the North London Derby coming up on Sunday afternoon. It's the big one. You know, pretty much since Spurs have started with their ascendancy, you know, from the Pochettino era, this game has been the big one. I mean, it always was the big one. It always was a bit nerve wracking, but there was a degree of, you know, there was a period of time when Spurs were just absolutely fucking terrible. So actually, I wasn't ever really that worried going into an awful London derby. And then they got decent. You know, that was the sort of, um, that was the sort of Gareth Bale era, Robbie Keane era, where they were decent. They weren't great. They weren't terrible. They were just meh. Um, and they started to get a bit of, bit more luck here and there, a few draws, the odd win. Uh, but you still felt pretty confident going into it. And then we hit the period where they kind of, you know, were in their golden era and won no trophies, by the way. Um, right as we were in one of our sort of worst periods in modern history and, you know, won four trophies, by the way. Um, but the point is that now this has gone back to being one hell of a tense fixture and it just annoys the hell of me, hell out of me. But look we could go 14 points clear of Spurs by the end of this game and potentially seven points ahead of City if they lose to United on, on Saturday. So um, there's a lot to play for. Um, in the next few weeks, we could see a massive swing in points and potentially a lot of churn at the top. You know, in the next month, City play... Um, sorry, we play City, United and Spurs. Spurs play, you know, us and City. United play City and us. So there is every opportunity that you know, a decent swing in points could be, uh, could happen if results go our way. And obviously we don't want to think about the alternative. So we just got to look at ourselves, but North London Derby is highly contentious. We all know what happened at the back end of last season. I still remember just the feeling of just, you know, there was a, there was a feeling going into that game and the Newcastle game where, you know, a lot of our players were playing injured, a lot of muscle injuries you know, we showed up at that Newcastle game with half our players playing on one leg, to be honest. Um, you saw the bench, nothing to, you know, full of youth players. It was it was dark times after a promising start to the season and a lot of progression from where we were in terms of two back-to-back eighth-place finishes, a fifth-place finish, only a few points uh, below Spurs, but nonetheless below Spurs, which is what none of us want. This season, of course, the sun is shining again, nature is healing, Back where we deserve to be at the top of the Premier League, top of the tree, top of the pile. We are very much the big boys and Spurs are back to looking their bang average best. But the thing about Spurs looking bang average is they're still getting points. They're still managing to claw draws and victories somehow, despite the fact they look fucking terrible. So with that being said, we know what's on the line. We know what happened at the back end of last season. We know what we're going for this season. And to be honest, for you know i've made my thoughts clear on this for me to feel as though we are in a title race i think it's too early because we're still um sort of you know you factor in the world cup stoppage we're still sort of in december technically in terms of games played so for me i want to see us get to sort of middle end of february before i look at it as a title race and for that to be the case we need to have a decent lead on city by the time we get there and so with the way City are able to rack up 11, 12 wins on, you know, on the bounce. And this City don't look like they're in that, but City can do that with the team they have. Um, we need to win these games. 
We can't draw them. We can't lose them. We need to win. It's the same as the United game. It's the same when we play Chelsea later on. It's the same probably even when we play Liverpool later on. These games need to be wins. Um, it's the type of thing we haven't done in recent seasons. This is a fixture where the home side tends to get the points. We beat them at home earlier in the season. We need to break that and beat them away. It'll be the first time we've done that in a long while. So there we are. In terms of what I'm thinking about going into this game, there is a lot surrounding this game. So I'm just going to sort of focus on what's going through my mind. Um, a lot of great podcasts and a lot of great content creators putting out a lot of great content around this. So I'm just going to focus on what's going in my head. Um, and number one is just how much I hate these games. They're fucking terrible. Back in the last season, sat in my living room watching this game. And I just, I, I knew how I felt it was going to go. And we just fell into that trap, you know, Cedric just vacating the defensive half space and going on a jaunt up the pitch, leaving Rob Holding to deal with Son by himself. We knew when we saw Son going up against Holding how we felt about that that matchup and so how it, it came to be. You know, this Arsenal side right now is not in the place that that Arsenal side was in. Definitely not. So, you know, this week Son will be going up against, of, uh, up against the likes of Ben White and William Saliba. And despite the fact that Saliba hasn't looked his most imperious compared to how he started the season. Ben White has been fantastic and Saliba is still one of the best defenders in the world right now on form. So it's still going to be a bit of a challenge for Son compared to what he had last season. So I still I still back us to do well in this game. Um, but honestly, when it comes to the North London derby, I just want to you know, pop a pill, not back a double vodka and just wake up on Monday when it's all over and hopefully have the points. But that's not what we're going to do. We are the Arsenal we support our team through and through. So there we are. Um, I do feel as though there are some, there's a bit of a mirror going on between a little bit to do with what's going on in terms of the squad with, with um, Spurs and, and us at the moment, not in terms of quality, because quality wise, we're better than them, obviously, but um, they don't really have much to change off the bench. If the game isn't going their way, it looks like Kulusevski is going to be back for this game. Um, so they can bring him, um, off the bench if he doesn't start or alternatively if he does start they'll have Brian Hill um, who's been you know roundly mocked since he joined Spurs um, but he's a very technically gifted player and he has been growing in a bit of confidence in the last couple of games after a couple of decent performances so they will have something off the bench from an attacking point of view to change the game but they do have a lot to to bring off the bench defensively whether or not you think those defensive options are um, good is is a matter of debate but what they can do is bring off players to sort of shut a game out and, and close spaces. You know, the the likes of um, Emerson Royale, who, you know, rocks in his head half the time. But, you know, a big lump you can shove in a place, space and say, stand there, and he'll block the space off. Um, you know, Ben Davis, Saar, Harvey White, these are all players you can use to close spaces if you want to run down the clock towards the end of the game. Um, and so that's what they'll do, no doubt. Um, on our end... We all know we're chasing Madrid. We're changing the chasing additions. There isn't much to bring off the aisle bench to change the game either. Of course, we have Smith Rowe back, um, which is just fantastic. Not just for you know the club and our our ambitions for the season, but for him as well. You know he's been dealing with this problem I think since two thousand eighteen nineteen. So for it to be finally dealt with is massive for him. So it must just feel amazing to be able to go out there on the pitch and do what he was uh, born to do. Um, but for our purposes, outside of that, maybe Vieira. Um, it's mostly defensive changes for us, really. You know, bringing the likes of Tierney off, Tomiyasu off the bench, um, El Nenny, players who can close out the game. Um, and I think that's another reason why we really need to get an early lead in this game. Um, an early lead is going to be crucial. We know about our style of play in terms of the um, we want to be the protagonist, we want the ball, we want to move it, we want to attack those five... Um, those five, those five attacking channels. We want to use our positional play to move the ball around, to move the team around, occupy those spaces, make those connections, create those triangles, and just try and find that way through, create the spaces and find that way through. We know they want to counterattack. We know that. We know they're going to sit there in a block. They don't have the talent to play us when it comes to football. So they're going to be in their low block or mid block. And the moment they get an opportunity for a turnover, they'll get the ball to Kane, switch it wide to Son, and he'll be attacking the, the defensive half space. Same on the other side of Kulisevsky. So first goal wins. And I think that is the next thing that comes to mind for me. The first goal wins. With their counter-attacking style, we cannot let them get the lead. If they get the first goal, they'll just shut down low block, mid block. We'll come on to them, come on to them, come on to them. 
they'll wave out the pressure and just when we overcommit, if they can get the turnover, they'll break into space and that'll be us. So we cannot we cannot keep falling into that trap. Season after season after season, we go to their stadium where we fall into that trap. We cannot do that this season. So, um, so I think getting that first goal is going to be so important. Um, we've had loads of games. We didn't manage to do it against Newcastle, uh, but we've had loads of games where we've managed to get the early goal. Um, and we're going to need to do that again. I think an early goal changes it for us. We've not managed to do that much against Spurs, particularly away away to their ground. But um, I think if we can get that early goal, it's going to mean a lot for us. Um, let me put you another way um, on that point. I saw it recently against Villa. I think it was the Spurs game against Villa. Um, Villa got the first goal um, and they got a second goal when Kane dropped deep to pick up the ball to push for a goal. He got dispossessed and Spurs were disorganised at the back of Villa slash freedom like butter. Um, I went back and had a look at this and in the Premier League this season, in every single game Spurs have lost in the Premier League this season, the opposition has scored first. Us, United, Liverpool, Newcastle, Villa. In every single game Spurs have lost this season, the opposition have scored first. That tells you something. Not only that, Tottenham have scored more second half goals than any other Premier League team this season 27 goals bear in mind this season Spurs have scored 37 goals so 27 of their 37 goals have come in the second half which is why again I think for us an early goal is so important because we're not going to have that much to change it off the bench and if they do score and they're sitting in their block and we have to chase them we're playing right into their hands so for me Unless something drastically changes in terms of Arteta's tactics for this game, Conte's tactics for this game, and to be honest, they're two managers who aren't readily going to change their systems at the moment unless injuries or something else requires it. Um, I think we know how both managers are going to want their teams to play. First goal wins for me. And this brings me on to the next point, stopping Harry Kane. At some point, at some point, we have to figure out a way to stop Harry Kane. We cannot just keep letting this guy do whatever he wants. He cannot just, he can't keep getting away with it. You know what I mean? We can't keep letting him do what he wants. He's one short of equaling Jimmy Greaves' goal scoring record for Spurs. He's two shy away from 200 Premier League goals um, and would be the third player to do that after Wayne Rooney and Alan Shearer. And he's got nine goals in eight Premier League games at home against us specifically. I can't stress it enough. We need to shut him down. That means no penalties, no free kicks in and around the box if we can help it. We really, really, really need to make sure that we limit the space that this guy occupies. And we know exactly how they're going to try and get the ball with him. We know how direct they're going to try and be. We know who he's going to connect with. We know exactly what kind of space he's going to try and drift into. So we need to stop him at all costs, if possible. It pains me to say it, but he is a brilliant striker, so it's easier said than done. But if, if there was ever a time when we were going to be able to do that, now is the time because we now finally have the players in our defensive space to do that. I remember watching in, in some previous games, Kane go up against Gabriel and he wanted no parts of him. Gabriel had him comfortably. So, he, you know, he'd move over to the other defender. And um, in this instance, it's going to be William Saliba and he hasn't been the player he was before. So I think it's going to be important that he, you know, he's going to need games to to play himself back into his best form. We we know that about William Saliba, you know, to an, on an extreme end from the COVID years to now, if he hasn't played for a while, he gets a bit rusty and Arteta's not a fan. So, um, you know, went away to the World Cup, only played, what, like 20 minutes of football maybe. Um, and he's been a bit rusty since he comes back. I have no doubt that he'll play himself back into form and he'll be back to being the best that we saw him uh, be earlier on in the season. I mean, when it comes to um, this game, both managers clearly appear to be trying to do whatever they can to get those marginal gains to be able to win. Um, we hear Conte talking about the um, sort of quote-unquote disciplinary issue at Arsenal. Now, Arsenal, I think, just got fined £40,000 um, for the failing to control their players, which you know I think we all agree is complete nonsense given what those charges related to, but nonetheless, it is what it is. Um, and, you know, Arteta spoke himself at, at the press conference before this game, saying that, you know, Arsenal might need to sort of, quote-unquote, change their behaviour. I don't think those were the words he used, really. But he essentially said, 
he's not, you know, going to comment on the change, but anything we can do to improve, um, they'll always have that conversation. Um, I think it's ultimately a question of realizing that officials are going to be looking at us in a particular light. It's funny, isn't it? We go from Arsenal don't like it up and so teams can kick us however they like to Arsenal have a disciplinary problem and so we get booked for any infraction. You notice how that's we, we seem to oscillate between those two things. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's the team who think people, you know, consider soft and don't like it up and get booked all the time um, if we do anything. But other teams who are seen as rough and ready and ready to tumble Newcastle Spurs, minimal bookings um, in comparison because that's just the way they play. It's an interesting one. It's 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 a it's a bit difficult to win in those circumstances. But you have to you have to think the refs will be. I'm not one for conspiracy theories about this kind of thing and refs in the Premier League, but you have to think that refs will have this in their mind. They'll be looking at the way we play, looking for signs of aggression and um, ill discipline. So if we give them any sign, they'll take it. So we really do have to be careful with how we challenge, especially in and around the box. Um, I think you know, giving a bet on. Tottenham winning a penalty and Kane sticking away is probably the safest bet in English football, to be honest. Um, but there we are. We have to deal with it. Um, interesting comments from Conte actually on this, where he said, you have to show respect in every situation and especially also with the referee, because I know very well the difficulty to be a referee, to take decisions. He says, I think to intimidate or to create a bad atmosphere is not fair. I don't like this. I hate the people that try to do it. Don't forget that we're talking always about a game of football. Antonio Conte. This from Antonio Conte, the man who in an interview said if a player disrespected him, he'd rather kill them. That that's this that Antonio Conte is saying this. It's clear, you know, we already know how much of a hypocrite he is from his comments about uh, Arteta complaining when all Conte does is complain. But the idea that Conte is somehow this restrained stoic figure in on, on the touchline who you know, rises above the fray to remember the dignity and honour of the game. And Arteta is this uncontrollable maniac who's frothing at the mouth. It's just, it's it's a bizarre thing. Um, but he's obviously playing to the agenda, um, you know, the sort of media agenda and conversation that's happening at the moment. I don't use that word agenda lightly. He's kind of playing to it in the hopes that obviously we'll be overly reft in the game because that is how they've got a lot of luck over us over the years. You know, we're heavily reft, we're overly reft, we get bookings, we get red cards, they get the upper hand, they take the points and they go home. And in the future, we, the Arsenal fans, will be the only people who remember how they did it. All that anyone will remember is they got the three points. And so we have to remember that as well. Um, it's clear gamesmanship and it's a shame with Arteta, right? When Arteta's making points um, about, you know, the, the way we're reft and it being looked at and it's the same thing. He wants to draw attention to the discrepancy in the refereeing. I think, unfortunately, on this end, the the, the weight, the tsunami of the narrative is is probably against him at this point. So he's going to have to warn the players, look, I need you at your sharpest. I need you at your tidiest. I need those tackles clean. Um, you know, I think we're going to struggle to get away with rotational fouling, but if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But probably the best thing we can do to counteract this is not give the ref an opportunity and to do that, it focuses on us playing our our style of football, focusing on the positional play, focusing on getting on the ball, quick passing, doing what we do to, to win games. Um, and to that point, I think the players who I would look at and say are most important for this game, I'm, I'm sort of looking at the, to some degree, the, the spine of our team. I'm starting with Saliba because he has been a bit rusty. I think we know that teams like to try and exploit the, the space in behind our fullbacks just because of how we how we push up and how we play and especially with the likes of Kane and Kuliseski attacking those spaces you know um, Saliba is going to have to be imperious he's going to have to be at his absolute best to make sure that they are shut down um, and I and I focus on him because I think he has had he's been a bit twitchy since he's been back from the World Cup not massively not massively like when I say a bit twitchy he's had a couple of moments in each game which isn't exactly um you know, a cause for concern when you've spent years watching the likes of Mustafi and Socrates and, you know, one or two moments. But unfortunately, it only takes one or two moments in a derby of this nature. So we will need him at his absolute best. Um, I think as well, further up the pitch, player of the month, um, captain, our Norwegian prince, Erdegaard, the control in midfield, the technical security, the way everything runs through him from a creative point of view, we will need that Erdegaard. 
Because if they are going to be in their low block, their mid block, we're going to need to move them around. We're going to need to make those connections. We're going to need to form those triangles. And his connections with Saka on the right are going to be crucial to do that. Um, Spurs are vulnerable in that space between the defender and the fullback. Um, You know, the Sotten and Kulisevsky aren't the greatest um, defenders um, in terms of defending from the front. So realistically, it's, it's going to be an opportunity but we're going to need Odegaard at his best to be able to take advantage of it. Um, next is Eddie and Kessia. Um, now, I remember listening to the Arsenal Vision podcast and Clive said, Clive Palmer's uh, Clive, at Clive PAFC, said something which I couldn't agree with more when he was talking about Nketiah. And Kessia has so far, and I'm a fan, I'm a fan of Nketiah. I'll, I'll declare, you know, I'll declare that now. I think he's a really good player who's only getting better. Um where how far he can go, how high he can reach, that's on him. But as a number two striker, I think we've done very, very well to, to have him as a number two. Um, and I think he'll go on to be a number number one somewhere. The question is whether he can hit the level for it to be here. That's the question. But he'll certainly go on to be a number one striker somewhere at a decent level. But um, the next step in his evolution is the the, the first goal, particularly in a big game the goal that could be decisive for deciding the match. I think he's shown um, how he's improved. He's shown that he can very much cut it at this level, but he obviously doesn't have the overall football play and skill of a Gabriel Jesus, but ultimately he doesn't need to do that. He needs to be the best version of himself. Um, and if we have like the likes of Saka and Erdegaard and Vieira off the bench and Martinelli who are able to create chances in other ways, then he needs to be there to be able to finish them. That means not jogging and arriving late into position so he's not there to receive the ball and it bounces off him. He needs to move quicker, be sharper, get into those spaces, sprint into those spaces, take the ball so he's able to do what he needs and wants to do with the ball in good time and not sort of try and make it work later. It's not just about running onto the end of the ball when someone plays a through ball for you. It's about being in the right place at the right time to help us maintain the pressure because one thing Spurs will try to do is create turnovers for them to burst into space behind us because we're pushed up high. If Eddie allows those balls to bounce off him, it's going straight to Kane and he's switching it wide to Sono Kulisewski and we are in trouble. We can't have that happen. So he needs to be on point, getting that ball, snapping to it early to help create those chances and and because his chance creation isn't what it could be, um, but his finishing is certainly, certainly exceptional. So I need Eddie to step up and show that he can operate at this level consistently um and probably a last little mention for smith row off the bench we have not had much to change the game off the bench and he's still very rusty you saw that against oxford he's not going to be that much further along in his development but look if there's anything that will help push his development along both mentally emotionally and physically it's coming on and doing well um against spurs and he already has a history of sticking the ball in the back of the net against uh against them a lot so fingers crossed he can do that again for spurs we know who the names are like we said, Kane, he's on the he's on the cusp of a, of you know a couple of big records, and of course you know it would be typical for him to 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 hit those records against Arsenal. It's it, it's it you know you can see it already. You can see the headlines. So let's do our best to spoil his day. Um, same with Son in terms of his record against us and how damaging he can be because of how our fullbacks push up into midfield and the the positions we occupy. We know those balls over the back of our, our fullbacks and into the defensive half spaces are going to be um, well. They could be they could be our undoing, and Kulis FC and Son are just made for running into the very spaces we don't occupy. Now, in the past, this hasn't really hurt us that much because ultimately, when you've got Gabriel Saliba, Ben White at the back, um, yeah, you want to get into a foot race with them. Be my guest. You want to go one on one with them. Be my guest. Um, but we're going to need them to make sure that that is, is less of an issue. The likes of Richarlison and Benton Court um, are apparently a doubt and being assessed. Um, I think Conte was trying a bit hard to sell the, the, the fact they're undercooked. So I think at least one of them will probably be available, at least from the bench. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Going into this game, of course, we are top of the table, 44 points. Spurs, they're you know, fifth on 33 points. We've played 17, won 14, drawn two, lost one. Scored 40, conceded 14. Spurs, on the other hand, they've played one more than us, 18. 110, drawn three, lost five. Um, 
they've really dropped points against teams in and around the the top four, top five positions in the league. Um, so we need to continue that trend. Um, they've scored 37, but conceded 25. So they've got a goal difference of 12. Um, so they can concede goals. And, and when you look at their squad, when you look at their starting lineup, it's not filled with talent that jumps off the page. You know, when you look at their starting lineups and it, it and you see players like um, Eric Dyer and Clement Longley and Oliver Skip and Hoiberg and a 33-year-old Perisic and Mac Doherty at fullback. And these aren't players who, you know, are going to frighten you. I mean, they don't get me wrong. The, the squad with those kind of players managed to put four past Palace, but Palace are that kind of team where one minute they're they're giving you the business and the next minute they're you know they're they're getting absolutely had up. I mean, even even Spurs a decent Spurs team at this rate is like Ben Davis, Langley, Romero, Doherty, Bissouma, Hoiberg, Perisic. That we should not be fearing that at all with the way our players are playing. We should not be fearing that. But styles win fights, and and if there's one thing that Spurs have. It's a style that can capitalize on on uh, how we play. So, equally, we have players who can unlock their defense. It's just about you know which style comes uh, comes comes out on top in this game. So, we know what Spurs are going to try and do. They're going to try and uh, look for for the ball from their defense, put it to their wing, ball infield to Kane, and he'll just spin the ball behind a, a high line for Son to run onto. Um, we've seen it time and time and time again. We just can't make it that easy for them. Hopefully, with the likes of Granite Shaka there um, doing the work he does, Thomas Party, the way he's played this season, um, hopefully that that space won't be there. But we'll see. Um, and we know from a defensive point of view, they'll block the center of the pitch. You know, low block, medium block, depending on where you are in the pitch. Um, so we'll really need to move them around with our passing, with our running. We can't be ponderous with the ball. It has to be quick, it has to be sharp, it has to be constant movement, constant passing. Keep their movement. Eventually you'll get space and then you'll have the opportunity to take your chance. Um, we've got players who can finish in and around the box, so we just have to make sure that we do that. Um, but if we keep their moving and if we keep moving, we'll get that chance. Um, as I said earlier, they'll try and get turnovers when we're fully committed. Then they'll spring, get the ball to the likes of Kulisevsky or Skon. They'll go direct, play balls out wide while Kane makes the run in the centre. One thing that Spurs have done a lot this season and watch out for, they've done it to us in previous seasons and got a lot of luck with it, including that penalty that was given against Cedric, I think, for the arm in the back, um, if you want to call it that. They'll float balls into the box from very awkward angles, either sort of low and whipped in or high and sort of sort of um, dipping in at pace. But they'll try and throw balls into the box at very awkward angles. Um, and it will either be for a cane to, or another player to get a flick on or a nod on or a touch on or to invite contact and, and to win a penalty. They do it a lot. It's incredibly, incredibly productive for them in terms of goals. So we'll need to make sure all of our players are very switched on when it comes to balls into the box and can deal with them effectively. We've got the players too. We just need them to be switched on. Um, it's I, you know, I saw Spurs uh, with goals against Southampton earlier in the season doing this. Um, they did it against Brentford most recently. For the, that's how Brentford conceded in the first goal against uh, against Spurs. Harry Kane ball flowed in awkward angle. Kane gets his head to it. Goal. Um, and we know that if that ball falls to him anywhere in and around the box, he'll have a pro we'll have a problem on our hands. So we we'll just need to make sure we we keep tight to him. Don't give him that space without lunging in, because um, otherwise, it'll be, you know, we know where that goes. And we know our style of play. We know the positional play. We know the five attacking lanes. Um, as I said, can't be stationary. Have to keep moving. Have to make those triangles, make those connections. Um, They'll be vulnerable by their wing back, so we have to absolutely attack their space. Martinelli driving at Mac Doherty or Emerson Royale um, would be absolutely perfect. Um, I, I think one of the ways in which you can get luck against a low block team who aren't giving you space is with runners. Um, quick passing, obviously, quick switches from side to side to to get the space to attack um, when you've got them overly committed on one side, big switch to the other side, and then attack the space. But if you've got runners, you're unpredictable because runners move players about to where they don't want to be. A player has to decide to stick with his man or go to the runner. And the moment they do that, indecision, they're stagnant. 
you've got space. Or if they do decide to commit, you've got space where you just were. If they don't commit, you've got space where you're going. So you always got options. And, and Martelli um, on the left coming into the coming into the center gives us that. Saka on the right coming into the center gives us that. So we've got all the tools to to give them problems. We just got to make sure we do it. Um, so yeah, for me, I think we've got everything we need to make this a different game to the type of games we've seen at their ground in recent seasons. Stars win fights. For me, it's going to come down to who gets the first goal, and that'll be the difference. But fingers crossed, it's us. It's been long enough. We deserve this. We need this, and we need to keep the pressure at the top. Um, Man City have not been great. They continue to not be great. They'll get points. They'll get wins. United are a team who have the capability, despite the problems they've had recently, they have the capability to take points off City, particularly if City play like like they played recently. United can take points off them. If they do, we have to capitalise. Um, it's not going to be often the City are in a sort of weird phase, a funky phase where they can drop points. So while they're in that phase, we have to make sure we can rack up as many as possible because eventually they will rack up their 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 games winning streak on the bounce. So we just have to, to be as far ahead as them before they start racking up those those um, those those victories. So obviously we'll have no Gabriel Jesus, no Reese Nelson, but we should have enough to uh, to to do them even without our, our starting number nine as much as we miss him. Zinchenko does so much for us in build-up. Um, Erdegaard has been playing fantastic. Shaka has been brilliant, though he's had a slight wobble himself post-World Cup. Um, yeah, I think we've got all the tools. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Anyway, people, that's it from me. That's a Hybrid Club um, podcast. Get in touch. Let us know your thoughts, what you're thinking, how you're feeling ahead of the North London derby. Like, subscribe, follow, repost, retweet, all of that good shit. Um, and we'll have an episode for you on Monday post-North London derby, hopefully to revel in the success of what was a dominating and domineering performance. Until then, people... Have a good weekend and we'll speak to you in a bit, in a bit.